0: Father, you know the tendency of our hearts at times to want to to get to grips with a passage rather than to think about what it actually means for us or what you are saying to us. And so we pray as we look at these verses together now, we pray that you would speak. Would your word come alive? And would each person in this place hear what you are saying to them? We pray that for us as a church as well, as a, a corporate entity, as a family we might hear your voice afresh in jesus name amen so one of the big things that happened um, in genesis 3 at the start of the bible when the first man and woman decided that god was not good and that they wouldn't trust him and that they would walk out on him one of the first things that happened was we would never truly be satisfied again at least in these bodies we've said goodbye to the god who made us we were made for we've said goodbye to the good things that he gives us and so we will never truly be satisfied in one sense you read the account in Genesis and you see this this blueprint this image of perfection you see God providing his people with an abundance of trees and food and, and water and it is good and you, you see them walking with him in the garden in the call cool of the day and it is good and we had all we needed true satisfaction and yet they walk out on him And we break it. You see, we're not like God. God is utterly self-sufficient, but we are not. And so we need things outside of ourselves. Right through the scriptures, you get these repeated truths that we need things, that God is good, and so we are to look to him to provide those things for us. We're made to look to him for for rest, for food, for relationship, for for sustenance, for safety, for, for satisfaction. And so the physical appetites that we have you thought it before the physical appetites that we have in one sense the things that we need actually point to the deeper need that we have of him of the one who gives them the little needs we have day by day by day are signposts to our need of the creator we don't just need his gifts we need him that's how the world is made we need the giver the psalmist says, as, my, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you, my, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. This is really important because it means we will have a right understanding of satisfaction that we can experience now or where we look for it now. So if God made us with needs to be reminded of our need of him, and if God created good things that meet your needs and yet still finally leave you, empty in one sense, well then, however much we have now, we will never be truly satisfied because they were never designed to truly satisfy us. So all the food in the world, or the drink, or your marriage, or your jobs, or or your friends, or whatever, they will never finally satisfy you because they were never meant to. But they were meant to point you to him. And I guess we kind of know that because we know what it means to to never, we know what it feels like even, to never truly be satisfied. But every day we slide into thinking that these things are the answer. We look to the gifts rather than the giver. Some of you know, um, if you've hung around me, that I'm a fan of a a current music band uh, called Bastille. I apologise for those of you whom I've wax a lyrical about Bastille before I think they're thoughtful, honest, striking lyrics insightful, poetic um, two albums so it's easy for you to catch up if you've never heard of them um, but I think as you listen to their albums you think, man, you guys need Christ you really do there's a song called Flaws um, and it addresses the painful reality of relationships of, of broken people in relationships together How do we live and interact? How do we hurt each other in the daily reality of our brokenness? The people we love the most are the people we we hurt the most. And there's this refrain in the chorus of this song called Flaws, and it's haunting. It goes like this. I'm not going to sing it. PowerPoint's not going to show it. There we go. There's a hole in my soul. I can't fill it. I can't fill it. There's a hole in my soul. Can you fill it? Can you fill it? Because, you see, the narrative of the song is no. No, she she can't fill that hole, and you can't fill her hole. There's no answer in the song. We have this enormous expectations of people, and yet if I'm asking that person to, to complete me, to fill that emptiness, we're asking way too much. The longing we have for someone to complete us, it is not meant to be filled by a mere person, Because they will always let you down. However charming your knight in shining armour is, or at least first appears to be, however beautiful and kind your princess is, however faithful and selfless that friend, however amazing that parent, they will always let you down. Our expectations are wrong, they're skewed. Because you see, that longing is a signpost to a deeper longing, a deeper satisfaction that only comes from the giver rather than the gift. The deeper longing is for one who can deal with those expectations, who can stand up under the pressure of them, the one whom we were made for. And in our beautiful passage for today in John 4, we meet someone who seems to have been burnt in this way. And Jesus seeks her out and he is so kind to her. And he shows her what she really needs. Again, if you're here just visiting, though, before we jump into John 4, a reminder of what we've been doing these last three weeks and next week as well, we're taking four very simple truths about God, um, which you've got on a business card, hopefully, Um, you might need a magnifying glass, but you see that God is great, glorious, good and gracious, and as Kitty was helping the children see, we're working those things through into daily lives because it's things that we can tick boxes on, but when push comes to shove, we get it wrong on a Monday. And so today, God is good, so we don't have to look elsewhere. And of course, it's worth saying as well, the nuance is there. The things that God gives us, the gifts he gives us, are meant for our pleasure and our enjoyment. That's the design, but they're transient things. We'll soon be thirsty again. So come to John 4. um, I think it's page 1066. 1066. And I want to try and hang the account around two big ideas for this morning. You can see them on the screen there. Uh, He came for everyone, and he came to quench forever. He came for everyone, and he came to quench forever. So firstly, he came for everyone. What does that mean? Well, as we first encounter this woman at the well, we might miss this idea. But it is is an unusual account in many ways. The woman doesn't miss it. John, writing for us, doesn't miss it. But we might easily miss it. So have a look down at verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. She's surprised on all kinds of levels that Jesus is speaking to her. In their culture, foundationally she's surprised because men wouldn't speak to women in public. But more than that, Jewish men certainly didn't speak to Samaritan women. The Samaritans were looked down upon. You see, John gives us a hint of that at the end of verse 9. In their day, racially and religiously, the Samaritans were seen as impure. In years gone by, centuries gone by, the people of God had intermarried and intermingled with um, groups from the north, with their enemies. They had mixed pagan practices with true worship. They had compromised, it was said, and so it led to conflict. In fact, um, the Jewish historian Josephus describes how Samaritans had apparently thrown human bones into the courtyard of the Jewish temple in Jerusalem 20 years prior to this account in an attempt to defile it to make it unclean. They hated each other, they were not friends. And so, that in itself is enough for her to ask the question what are you doing, Jesus? Why are you talking to me? But it gets worse because he's not just talking. In their culture, again, one way to show friendship was to eat and drink. It shows acceptance, approval. And asking her for a glass of water is a sign of friendship, in one sense, which makes it pretty scandalous. She's thinking, do I flee? Do I run? What's going on here? But there's more to it. It's unusual as well from her perspective, because it's, it's noon, it seems, and she's come by herself. Verse 6, Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. And why is that weird? Because it, it's the hottest time of the day. And as we know, it's, it's just mad dogs and Englishmen who go out in the midday sun. And Samaritan women. And Jesus, it turns out. Normal practice would be to go in a crowd when it's cooler, earlier in the day. She's, she's boiling hot, but she's frozen out. Society doesn't like her. She's all alone. As the story unfolds, we're given hints as to why that might be, why she is there on her own. So again, verse 16, Jesus said to her, go and call your husband and come here. The woman said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying you've no husband for... You have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said to him, so I perceive that you're a prophet. Now, I want to be careful not to judge her too quickly. It's interesting. It may be that she's a serial adulteress in some way. That's often the way this story is taken. That's the assumption often of this account. We don't know that. Maybe she was widowed. Maybe she was widowed and so, for security's sake, bumped into another marriage too quickly. Roof over her head, food on the table. And then suddenly she realises it's a bad relationship and pretty soon she's trapped and this damaging, disastrous cycle of lurching from one ill-founded relationship to another and another and another and she can't break the cycle, one husband after another after another until she's reached the point where she just can't do marriage anymore. It doesn't work. And she finds herself at a well as she did every day. Alone, hot, thirsty, not looking for trouble. Just getting on with her chores, quietly minding her own business. But today she's in conversation with a man who seems to know everything about her. He seems to know her. And you know, if you look at verse 4, strictly speaking, that's not true. Because of the hatred we've already said, some strict Jews who were doing the three-day journey from Judea to Galilee, would avoid Samaria entirely, deliberately. They would take the longer route round. And so as we read verse 4, he had to pass through Samaria. That's not quite true, because many didn't. They wouldn't touch the place with a barge pole. So it's probably more than to do with just geography. It's about divine necessity he had to go through samaria and john is nudging us to say come on you've worked it out he had to go because he has to meet this woman he's got a meeting at a well to attend a meeting with someone who nobody else wants to be seen with a meeting to turn someone's life around isn't it sad in our world how so easily we exclude people we we write them off <laughs> Maybe you can associate with this woman here. Maybe, maybe she feels like, like, like you, in a sense. Maybe you know the reality of the glances, the disapproving looks, the nods. Maybe the shame of the skeletons in your closet that you try to keep locked hard shut, but actually they just work their way out and there was no pulling them back. But maybe you feel like you don't quite fit in, and you look around a room like this, and you see all these beautiful churchy people, and and you feel like you kind of stick out a bit. Not quite sure what you're doing here. Not quite sure if you'll be accepted. Not quite sure what it's all about. Well, Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Because he came for people like you, and he came for people like me. People who feel far off, marginalized, excluded, thirsty He came for everyone. He didn't just come to gather us in, though. He came to quench forever. Verse 7, Jesus asks the woman for a drink, and she thinks he's talking about water, which I guess I would, and I guess you would. Seems pretty obvious. He looks pretty tired and thirsty, presumably. It's been likely a day and a half of walking. (coughs) He's got no way of drawing water from this ancient well. And we've seen, she questions, how appropriate is it for you to ask me for a drink of water, sir? And he says, verse 10. Verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep, where do we get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus is good. He's not after something from her. He wants to give something to her. And when he turns up on the scene and we get a bit twitchy thinking, what does he want from us? Jesus, what do you want with me? He's not come to ask stuff of us. He's come to provide what we need. He's come to show us that we were made to be satisfied by him. And yet she's a bit confused. I'm pretty sure I would be quite confused as well. What's he talking about? In her mind, she's talking about water from the well. In her mind, she's thinking, every day I come to this well on my own with my empty jar, and by the next day it is empty again, and so I have to go back again. Maybe she's thinking in her mind, that's a story of my life. Always empty, always needing something else, someone else, never satisfied, never Never quenched, never content, empty on the inside. Teacher, if you've got if you got water that will quench my thirst forever, I could do with some of that. But he's not talking about water in the well where they're sat. He's talking about water that will quench our thirst forever. And the reality is, we're all looking for something, aren't we, that will satisfy us, something that will fill us? What do you think you need? What are you looking for? How do you finish this sentence? If only I could. If only I could. If only I could redo Christmas again. If only I could have a family. If only I could move house or get a house or get an extension or a renovation. If only I could get a a bigger garden. A new hairstyle, a new outfit, new shoes. If only I could get my inbox to zero. If only I could get to half term. If only I could have nicer holidays. If only I could get a job, get a new job, get a notch up on the ladder. If only I could be more significant. If only I could finish my degree. If only I could find a spouse or find a different spouse. If only I can retrain and start on a different path. If only I could retire. If only I could. How do you finish the sentence? And I guess in our heart of hearts, we know, we we all know that things won't really satisfy, but we keep coming back to them, hoping they might. And... Perhaps, in our heart of hearts, we will know that, that there 's someone rather than something who will truly satisfy because we, we kind of know we were made for relationships But then we slide into calling it love, but but we turn people into things to get what we want, and when we stop getting what we want, we think about well i 'll find someone else who will give me what I want, and so it 's hard we we're scared to be open and vulnerable with people because we long for love, but it's never quite right. And do you see this is not the love that you've you've longed for? Jesus said to her, Go and call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, verse 17, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you have is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Is Jesus being a bit harsh? Kind of left scratching your head thinking he had been so kind to her. Why did he rub her nose into this family situation if he already knew what her issue was? Why did he make her suffer for it? Why does he embarrass her? Why does he do that? And the thing is, he is being kind. He loves her enough to speak truth to her. He, he wants to help her face the reality of what it is that she really needs. The, the, the maths tells the story. Her relationships are what happens when we try and live life without God. In John 4, the maths tells the story. The longing we have for a relationship that satisfies. The longing we have for a relationship with the God who made us that satisfies. Everything else we drink will make us thirsty. It's as if we're gulping down salt water. And we think our our thirst is being quenched. And we think we've got what we need. And it'll be alright for a bit. And it helps for a bit. And it's okay for a bit. But then in the end we're just more thirsty and, and sick. And Jesus doesn't come to us and say, "Come to me. I've come to bring you a life that's rubbish. Come, come and follow me and enjoy life a bit less. Come and follow me and be less happy." We, we mistrust his goodness. We think he doesn't know what we need. But it's as if we're there, splashing it around, a little puddle of mud, trying to have fun. And he says, come on, let's have some pure water instead. Let me show you what you really need. Let me show you what you were made for. Come and trust me. And in our world, it's relentless and exhausting. And social media exacerbates that. And keeping up appearances. And it says... If you stay thin, if you look beautiful, if you can make the grade, if you can impress me and keep impressing me, if you can get it right, then we will love you, says the world. And Jesus just loved her. He knew the truth about her and he just loved her. And he knows the truth about us and he just, he loves us. He had to go to Samaria to get to people like her. He had to come to this world to get to people like us. He doesn't love us because of what we're like, he loves us because of what he's like. God is good. So we don't need to look elsewhere. And this morning I have to say this, but maybe Jesus is saying to you for the first time, maybe for the first time in a long time, stop it. Just stop it. Just stop trying to quench your thirst with things that will never, never work. Come and drink living water from me. Come and have your thirst quenched. Come and meet the one who can truly satisfy you. The one, the only one who can truly satisfy you. Come and enjoy living water. Come and know the one whom you were made for. Come to the giver and enjoy the gifts that he gives. And if that's you, if, if you're here this morning thinking, do you know what, I'd love some of that water. I, I know what it's like to try and find my, my thirst quenched in muddy water, but I'd love living water. Then come and chat to me afterwards. It'd be such a privilege to talk to you, such a privilege to pray with you. thing is, I suspect for the majority of us in this room, though, we're a people who far too easily can say, if only I had. And we know this Jesus who gives us living water, but we, we lose direction and we start trying to find satisfaction elsewhere. Ours is a world that breeds, that loves to breed discontentment, that urges us to look for what we want and to see it as what we need. We, we forget who we have. We buy the lie. And so we're playing in muddy puddles. I was reading a little while ago um, a great passage in a book by an Australian Christian author called Tony Payne, who some of you might have heard of. And he was imagining kind of TV in heaven type stuff. Uh, Truly Christian television. There was lots of enjoyable stuff in there, but this paragraph particularly was talking about the kind of obsession with house design that our current culture is all into. An example of when we forget whom we have, and we buy the lie. He says this. He says, I was particularly look forward to the new version of changing rooms and better homes. They would become five-minute programs called Perfectly Adequate Homes and Gardens. <laughs> Each week, a former bricklayer or plumber would take us on a tour of a bog-standard family home and say, as you can see, the Wilson family have plenty of potential. Sorry, family home has plenty of potential. There's lots we could do with this one. But it does the job pretty well. It's warm and dry and comfortable. There are no obvious structural problems. We're going to encourage the Wilsons to be content and leave it as it is. (laughs) Jesus says, with me you can be content. You have all you need. You have the love that you were made for. It will never disappoint you. You need nothing else. I am enough. And so maybe where we say, if only I had however you finish that sentence, maybe we need to come back to John 4 again and to see the one whom we do have and to rediscover and remember and stop mucking around in the mud and to go to the one who gives us living water, to drink afresh from the well. And of course, we're not going to go there today, but that's why the conversation moves on to talk of worship, as we were thinking last week, because... What we love, where we find satisfaction, where we turn, is ultimately about where our hearts worship and so shape our lives. That would be part two if we had time. But maybe life hasn't turned out as you expected it to. Maybe marriage or relationships or your job or your family haven't, haven't ended up as you dreamt, what you longed for, that the fairy tale never materialised or the fairy tale all went wrong. Maybe in your mind you were never meant to end up stuck here like this. Jesus says, I've got you. I've got you, I'm good. You can be satisfied in me, I am all you need. And so our homework question for this week is, examine your daydreams, not your weird ones, but... (laughs) You know, when your brain sort of freewheels and you think, oh, if I had this, then I'd be happy. That's what I need in my life. Examine your daydreams and ask, what is your well? Where do you look for satisfaction? Where do you imagine this satisfaction is going to come from? How would you change your life if you could? And so when you've done that, then go to Jesus and see what he says to us in verse 14. He says, come. Come to me. Those things won't satisfy you. Only I will satisfy you. Come and find water that will satisfy forever. She's at the well collecting what she thinks she needs. He meets her at the well to show her what she really needs. We need him. God is good. So we don't need to look elsewhere. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for all that we have in you. Thank you for living water. Thank you for your generosity, your kindness. We confess how easily we get it wrong. How easily we think other things will satisfy. How easily we, we buy the lie. Help us to see afresh how glorious you are. How good and how beautiful. Amen.